Hello everyone and welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. Here we'll discuss everything related to the wide world of automobiles, including culture, news, games, interviews, and events. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, hey everyone, welcome back to the show. As you know, the LA Auto Show is happening right now. I haven't seen any further reveals, but... We did get something interesting not too long ago. Oh, well, never mind, almost 10 days ago. But anyway, you know that Aston Martin SUV we've been hearing about for a while now? And I think I think we knew for a while it was going to be called the DBXK. Well, it not XK, but DBX. It finally came out. And, you know, before we do the opinions, let's get all the hard info out of the way first. So, the 2020 Aston Martin DBX. Back in September, Aston Martin confirmed what engine would power its SUV. This engine takes the shape of a twin-turbo 4-liter AMG V8, delivering 400, no, 542 horsepower and 516 pound-feet of torque, or 700 newton-meters of torque, and is the same basic unit that is used by the Vantage and the DB11. It does, however, have more grunt than either of those two models. The sprint to 62 miles per hour or 100 kilometers per hour is dealt with in 4.5 seconds, and the SUV will continue through to a 181 mile per hour top speed or 291 kilometers per hour. Paired to the engine is a 9-speed torque converter automatic transmission working with an all-wheel drive system with active differentials, including an active central dif differential and a rear limited slip differential that shuffles torque between the wheels. All in, the Aston Martin DBX weighs 4,949 pounds or 2,245 kilograms and comes standard with adaptive triple volume air suspension using a 48-volt electric anti-roll control system and electronic adaptive dampers. What this means is that the DBX's ride height can be increased by 45 millimeters, 1.7 inches, or lowered by 50 millimeters, 1.9 inches, depending on the terrain. Speaking of the car, Andy Martin Chief Executive Andy Palmer said, DBX is a car that will give many people their first experience of Aston Martin ownership. As such, it needed to be true to the core values established in our sports cars, while also providing the lifestyle versatility expected of a luxury SUV. To have produced such a beautiful, hand-built, yet technologically advanced car is a proud moment for Aston Martin. Those in the U.S. looking to pick up an Aston Martin DBX will be able to do so from $189,900, while prices in the U.K. start at £158,000, and in Germany the price starts at €193,500. We'll update this post as soon as we find out more. As you can tell, I, I am reading this off Car Scoops. Now, if you felt that Car Scoops article was a little bit light on some info, don't worry. I also went to Road and Track, found an article, so we're going to read a few bits from there. Palmer said there was an opportunity to turn to Mercedes-Benz, which owns a 5% stake in Aston Martin for a platform. However, they decided to go in the opposite direction. Aston decided to build its own platform for the car so it would both look and drive as the people at the company expect. Now, with that being said, I'm, I wouldn't be too surprised if it did use a handful of Mercedes parts from their from their parts bin, but I'll take them at their word and believe that it's on a completely bespoke platform unique to this car. As I told you before, it's powered by a Mercedes-AMG Source 4-liter twin-turbo V8 that's using the DB, DB11 and the Vantage, but as you also know, it's tuned for more, for more power, 542 horsepower versus the 503 and the others. Makes sense, bigger vehicle, it's going to need a bit more grunt. And we also talked about their four-wheel drive system and where it can send the power. However, 
Road and track more a little bit more specific on how the system works, so we'll get into that. An electronic center differential can send 42% of the torque to the front axle or up to 100% to the rear. Additionally, an electronic rear limited slip differential distributes power across the back axle. Suspension is double wishbones up front and multi-link setup at the rear. Adaptive, damp adaptive dampers come standard, as do 22-inch wheels wrapped with massive custom-developed Pirelli P0 summer tires. All seasons and winters are available too. The active chassis hardware is arguably the technical highlight of the DBX though. Three chamber air springs allow for adjustable ride height and four effective spring rates, while a new 48 volt active anti-roll bar controls body motions. So once again, things I already told you about, but with a bit more detail. At the end of the day, we're dealing with physics, as Martin Chief Engineer Matt Becker told Roden Track. And if you want to have the broad range of characteristics that we characteristics that we were after, you have to have these active systems. We can't do without them. Aston calls the active anti-roll system EARC, E-A-R-C, with a lowercase e, so it's a little bit weird. And like similar systems offered by other automakers, electric motors in the middle of each anti-roll bar can loosen or stiffen the bars up as needed. Becker told Road and Track that these electric motors can apply over 1,000 pounds of torque to each bar, which he believes is more than any other comparable system. With eARC, it's possible to make a DBX state perfectly level in cornering. I'll believe that when I see it. But doing so would feel unnatural. Instead, eARC is tuned to provide body roll comparable to a DB11 when the DBX is in its stiffest chassis setting. This system can also vary roll stiffness at each axle individually. It sounds a little bit like something I thought McLaren put in their 720S, which allows the handling balance of the DBX to be changed on the fly. Becker told us you can stiffen the rear and slacken up the front, to help the car oversteer, for example. And for off-roading, the eARC system can reduce anti-roll bar stiffness too, helping increase wheel travel. Unfortunately, these chassis systems are heavy, which is why the DBX weighs, we already know, oh, well, they're saying, Rodentrack is saying 4,940 pounds, but in any case, it's 4,900 pounds, give or take. Despite being made mostly from aluminum, the body structure itself is bonded like all Aston Martin road cars, save for the limited run 177, since the original Vanquish. Skipping ahead a little bit, the DBX will also be the first Aston Martin to get active driving assist features like lane keep assist, adaptive cruise control, and automatic emergency braking. Aston will also offer various accessory packs with the DBX tailored to the hobbies and interests of its customers. Our favorite pack is the Pat Pack, which includes a bumper protector so your, so your dogs don't scratch the paint when getting in the trunk and a portable washer. If you're not as familiar with the automotive world and you're wondering why this is a first for those, not the pet stuff, but for the, the safety features to be added to an Aston Martin, it's because they've pretty much only made sports cars and some sedans. They were more like lux luxury sedans like Quattroporte and that sort of thing. But for an SUV that's, a, that's much less of a niche product, like sports cars, those kinds of safety features would be expected. And so because of that, it makes sense for them to add it because this, the DBX is not like the repeat. This, it's not a four-door DB7 because even that's a very good example of something that would compete with, you know, the Quattroporte because when I first said that, I was thinking Lagonda and that sort of thing. But once again, the repeat is also a very good example. But that's, once again, a very niche product because that's more like a four-door DB7 in proper. This isn't a tall DB11. This is actually an SUV. So it makes sense for them to add typical features, those of the safety for variety, to compete with other SUVs in their, not only in their price bracket, but really in the market. Now we already know about the price, but we don't know about the production. So 
I have that info for you right here. Palmer plans on capping production at 4,000 units a year, at which point Aston Martin will let the, let the waiting list grow. At 4,000 cars a year, the DBX should become the brand's bestseller, overtaking the Vantage, of which Aston Martin sold, sells around 3,500 cars, sorry, units annually. It makes us more durable in the down cycle, Palmer said. As economies get tighter, there tends to be less people putting money into sports cars, but everybody needs a car. Plus, the company's research indicates that 72% of its current customers already own an SUV, which leads to an obvious question. Why shouldn't there be an Aston Martin SUV? That statistic is actually really, really important, especially for, for automotive enthusiasts because, and let me, let me make this perfectly clear. I don't hate SUVs, but I'm not, let's say, I'm not the market. I'm not really in the market for an SUV and that I'm not going to be in one for a long time. If I'm going to get a big vehicle, and I've said this time and time again on the podcast, if I'm going to get a big vehicle, I'm going to get a truck first. Because I want the towing capacity so I can tow my Viper to the track. I'd rather have something a little bit more specific. An SUV, let's, of, of Durango caliber, Tahoe, Ta- Tahoe, wow, Tahoe, Expedition, so on and so forth. Those kinds of vehicles, to me, sort of bridge the, bridge the gap between a normal crossover and a pickup. Because they have greater towing capacity than most normal crossovers, but not as much as a pickup does because it's not as compromising as a pickup. With that being said, though, I can understand why some people would want an SUV, especially if you have a sports car, you know, if you own an Aston, a Lambo, a Pagani, Vipers, Vets, you know, that sort of thing. And you, and you need something a bit more practical, but you don't want, you don't want an S-Class, you know, you need, you need one other car. You already own a Lamborghini Aventador, you already own... A bunch of these really, really expensive sports cars, and you can generally only afford one one more car. It does make sense. It does make some sense why you get an SUV. And, I, and I've said this before that people tend to buy more than what they actually need, generally. But for those cases where they do need something bigger, why not just get that bigger vehicle outright in preparation for when you're going to actually need the size, the towing capacity? And so, if you really are going to have a sports car and then one other vehicle, an SUV does make sense. It might not be the most fuel efficient, but as you, most SUVs these days aren't that bad, although I don't think this one will classify as such. You'll get room. You'll have ride height for the snow. You'll have four-wheel drive, even though wagons can do that fine, and Subarus. Aston does make a really, really good point here. If 72% of their customers already own an SUV, why shouldn't they try and keep it in the family more by making their own SUV? It's That's just straight money for them. So it already makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of us don't like it when... Aston or Porsche or Lamborghini make a bunch of these SUVs, we'd rather they buy a Land Rover or maybe a Nissan Patrol or perhaps a Jeep Grand Cherokee, you know, uh, of Summit caliber. In any case, while most of us would rather that they buy, would rather consumers buy an SUV from a brand that is sort of known for making SUVs and already has one and not taint the heritage and the tradition of Lamborghini, Aston, Ferrari, etc., if 72% of their customers already own an SUV, again, why shouldn't they try and get get in on that? I mean, that's only for Aston, but still, if if all of these high or low volume automakers like Aston Martin, Lamborghini, Pagani, again, so on and so forth, if a high percentage of their customers have an SUV of some sort, then from a from a business perspective, it really doesn't make sense why you wouldn't make an SUV for your own brand. So that you can get in on that market. It is sacrilegious from an enthusiast perspective. However, the silver lining to it is if the brand itself gets more money due to SUV sales, 
they can pump that money into the products that the rest that the rest of us who care about the sports cars actually want. And and I, you know, and I said a similar thing back when Mitsubishi got rid of the Evo. I basically said the same thing. As much as we are all hurting that the Evo's gone, if Mitsubishi pumps that development money into more SUVs that hopefully sell, maybe they'll have a bit of residual money left over to actually make something that we that the rest of us want, a sort of passion project. Because if you if you remember that's exactly what happened with Chrysler. They were in trouble. Then they made the K cars. Then they were selling. They were doing good. And so then they had just enough money left over and just enough parts left over to make the Viper. If there's one thing that enthusiasts, it maybe it's something that we all forget from time to time is that you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. And in this case, the rain is this SUV frenzy, which again, I'm not all for personally. I'd rather we get more sports cars. I'd rather not have an Aston Martin DBX because to me, it sort of taints the brand and trying to graft the Aston Martin design language onto an SUV to me is a challenge. Same thing with Bentley, a lot, very much so with Ferrari, Lamborghini. I've thought that for a while. And let's say even McLaren if they decide to. But again, sports cars are a very, very niche product. And I might be using this term wrong here, but unless the margins of the, the profit that they make on selling their sports cars over how much it costs to make them and ship them and all that is enough. These these brands really do have to diversify where their income comes from as far as the markets they sell in. And we all know Aston's been kind of struggling as of late to sell. And none of us want Aston Martin to die. And I'm sure some of you say, well, you know, why not make a wagon? And my simple answer to that is, are wagons selling enough to justify that? SUVs are. SUVs are certainly selling enough to justify Aston making one, but what about wagons? I'm not convinced. So again, as much as we would all rather that they make the things that they've been making for the last hundred years, none of us want to see them go. And so, and so if an SUV is what's needed to help them be financially viable so that they can make what we all want and what I suspect that they truly want to make, I say, let them do it and hope it actually sells. That way we get better products and we get more, well, better sports cars and more sports cars. And it's the same logic I was using for the Viper when, it, you know, when we lost it from this world in 2017. I don't want the Viper to go, but if all these crossovers and CUVs and SUVs that they're making and planning on making will help FCA financially so that they earn more money, so that they might actually have a bit of money left over to make a new Viper, then I'm all for it. Make your SUVs, get the money, and then make the cars you want to make. Look at it like this way. If the Grand Cherokees, the Durangos, the Journeys, the Grand Caravans, your Compasses and your Renegades, and your lower level challengers and chargers and your pacificas those are the genuine money makers for fca your hellcats your demons your trackhawks formerly your vipers all of those things are what make the brand cool but you can't afford to make the cool stuff if you're not making enough money from the normal regular stuff so you have to make enough regular stuff to finance what you really want to do and that's where porsche was a while ago with the cayenne when they made it and that seems to be where aston is now so I don't like the rear end. The front end is okay to me, although I think the fog light shape really should have been circular like on Zagato models because that would have been better. But even though I'm not perfectly sold on the way it looks, the front end is pretty nice. But the rear end, ugh, no, the rear overhang is way, way too big. It should have been a lot shorter. I still hope it sells because I want more Astons and I want Astons to still be around for 100 years from now even though I probably won't be because I'd be 117. But still, I want them to pump out more awesome product, and if the DBX is the way to go, even though I think the rear overhang is really, really meh, the design itself is fine. I don't I don't care that they use the Vantage 
they basically copy and pasted the Vantage taillights and design cues from I just wish it wasn't as it wasn't as long. I genuinely hope it sells. Many rants aside, uh, apparently there's another article here. Let's see if I can get a shorter one. Okay. In an interview with Road and Track, CEO Andy Palmer reiterated the company is committed to doing an AMR version of every model in their range. As a result, the DBX is an obvious candidate to get the AMR treatment. Now, I do want that. I really, I want to see that. There's no word on performance specs at this point, but Palmer hinted, we'll probably do other engine derivatives. The most natural candidate is the company's twin-turbo V12, which the executive confirmed will fit under the hood of the DBX. Yes, yes, we need a, we need another V12 SUV. The last time, Lamborghini hasn't even done a V12 SUV. They, I think they could have with the Urus, and they decided not to, which makes sense. And hey, maybe we will get a V12 Urus if they make a faster one, which they better, because a Lamborghini V12 and an SUV, that would be awesome. But it'd be funny if Aston beat him to the punch. But my point being, we need another V12 SUV. I think the last time we had one was the G-Class. I was about to say the, the diesel VW Touareg, but no, I think the G-Class from the last generation book. I sort of put my thoughts on how I thought the car, on how the DBX looks visually from the outside into that rant. And yeah, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the front end. It actually reminds me a lot of the DB7 to me, and mostly in the headlights. Like I said, I do like it. They didn't do, I think they actually did a fairly good job. Kind of, kind of getting some Cayenne, early, like 20, 2011 Porsche Cayenne, forgive me, but vibes from uh, looking at it. Worst thing are the fog-like shape, because they should have been circular, but whatever. But what about the interior? It's nice. I think it's a little bit minimalist. However, it looks really, really nice. I feel like consumers might be a little bit intimidated at first because it's not to me it's not a very typical suv interior it's a bit more like aston's other products db7 vantage and so forth no db11 not db7 but it's also kind of a good thing because it's because it looks like an aston martin interior and it's a bit unique although looking at oh those air vents are a bit tiny but i like it i think it's a bit different from a lot of other suvs it's a bit sportier it's not as open perhaps but i'm not sure that's a bad thing i think consumers will get used to it after a while and it's well, it's well designed, and the materials look fantastic. So, yeah, overall, I like it. I like this car. I really, really don't like the rear end overhang and the shape and the ducktail spoiler. It's all, it's all a little bit strange. But overall, not bad, not bad, Aston. You did a good job designing it, even in the interior. And how it drives, we'll have to see. But let's all hope that this sells, so that this funds funds Aston's other products or projects, perhaps like the Val, uh, the Valkry and the. What was their, what was the baby one below the Valkyrie? Uh, the Valhalla. Because we all want to see those. But they need, the Aston needs to be able to afford to make those products. And finish those projects. And the DBX seems like one of the best ways to do it. So, I'm not totally displeased. Aston did a pretty okay job. And as long as this funds the products, the, the products that we all actually want to see. We actually want to drive. I'm all for it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This one kind of shocked me when I saw it across the news pages, I was like, oh, wait, that was this auto show? Oh, oh, mess. I'm not as disappointed as I thought I was going to be. I'm less disappointed than I was when I saw the Bentley Bentayga, especially with that name. I was less disappointed, which is which is actually saying something. Yeah, the SUV apocalypse is, it's here. It's been here for a while now, but we all want to see the Valhalla. We all want to see the Valkyrie. Lamborghini, we, we want to see more from them. Ferrari, we want to see more from them. Alpha, we want to see more from them too. And these 
vehicles, these SUVs, crossovers, whatever you want to call them, fund the passion projects that really get the enthusiasts within these companies excited. And so if this is what they got to do, this is what this is what they got to do. And we just got to hope that they succeed so we get more awesome products. But anyway, enough belaboring that point. What do you think of the DBX? I think it's powerful enough. I guess I'm a little bit underwhelmed. I was expecting maybe 570, but if we're going to get an AMR version, we're probably going to get closer to 600, so that'll solve that. But do please let me know what you think about the DBX. I'm kind of okay with it. If you want to let me know, tweet me, either tweet DM or just at Cody's Car Conundrum. Instagram, same thing, either comment on a post or DM me. DMing would probably be better because you can't, it's not like Twitter. Um, or even just leave a comment on this podcast. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you do subscribe, hit the notification bell. That way you're notified every time I upload. Anyway, I will see you all later for another LA Auto Show piece of news that is less, probably less controversial. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full-throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.